chapter 33, and we're looking at verses 12 to 23 this morning. So page 92 of the Pew Bibles. And before we read, let us pray together. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we have so much to thank you for. We want to thank you for your word. Thank you for its truth and its authority. And so we ask now that you would speak to us through your word. Help us to listen for the glory of Jesus. Amen. So verse 12 of Exodus 33. Moses said to the Lord, You have been telling me, lead these people, but you have not let me know whom you will send with me. You have said, I know you by name, and you have found favor with me. If you are pleased with me, teach me your ways, so I may know you, and continue to find favor with you. Remember that this nation is your people. The Lord replied, My presence will go with you, and I will give you rest. Then Moses said to him, If your presence does not go with us, do not send us up from here. How will anyone know that you are pleased with me? And with your people, unless you go with us, what else will distinguish me and your people from all the other people on the face of the earth? And the Lord said to Moses, I will do the very thing you have asked, because I am pleased with you, and I know you by name. Then Moses said, Now show me your glory. And the Lord said, I will cause all my goodness to pass in front of you, and I will proclaim my name, the Lord, in your presence. I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. But he said, you cannot see my face, for no one may see me and live. Then the Lord said, There is a place near me where you may stand on a rock. When my glory passes by, I will put you in a cleft in the rock and cover you with my hand until I have passed by. Then I will remove my hands and you will see my back, but my face must not be seen. This is... God's Word. There is a great difference between the presence and the absence of the right person. A few weeks ago, we thought we'd take a short holiday to Prague in the Czech Republic. Now we were looking forward to a nice relaxing break. And so I went online, I went surfing on the net, as one does, and I found a really good deal at a quality hotel. It was in the centre of Prague, it had a pool, and it was big. Alison, let's 
Buketop. Prague was our destination. But just before we left, I received an email. And it was from the hotel. And here's what the message said. It said, Mr. Gibb, during your stay, there will be increased security. Because a very important guest is staying at the same time. And therefore, Mr. Gibb, do you want to cancel? Well, no, we didn't. Why? It was in the centre of Prague, it had a pool, and it was big. Surely there won't be that much of a change. Alison, it will be absolutely fine. Trust me. Have you ever said that? And so we arrived in Prague. Now, on the first day, everything was normal. People were checking in and checking out as usual. But then we began to notice some little changes. Airport-style scanners were installed at reception. X-ray machines began to check your bags. Secret service agents were walking about speaking into their sleeves. And to make us feel really at ease, the Czech army had put their armoured vehicles all around the hotel. And what was going through my head now? Mr. Gibb, do you want to cancel? Alison, it will be absolutely fine, trust me. But there was a reason for all this. It's because George W. Bush, the American president, was staying in our hotel. Before going to the G8 summit, Mr. Bush was stopping off in Prague. And he was staying in the hotel. But the thing is, it didn't really affect us. We could go wherever we wanted. We could go into the restaurants for a very overpriced meal, anywhere except the top two floors, level seven and level eight. And if you try to get in there, you might be shot, because that's where the Americans were, and you couldn't get in, even if you said that you were a member of Charlotte Chapel. You couldn't get (laughs) in, believe me. That is, unless you were invited by the president. And if you were there with George W. Bush, just go along with me here, then everything would be okay. Because you were with him. And as long as George Bush was there, was present, to say that you were invited, you could go wherever you wanted. Whether you'd actually want to spend time with Mr. Bush is not the point. Okay, so what does that tell us? Well, it's this. There is a great difference between the presence and the absence of the right person. When you are trying to arrive at the central goal for which you were born, the reason why you're here on this planet, or as in the case of Moses and the Israelite people, people, the fertile central uplands of Canaan and the promised land, to be sure of arrival. Folks, there is a great difference between the presence and the absence of the right person. Exodus chapter 33 begins with a crisis because there is a very real possibility that Moses and the Israelites are going to have to go on in this point of their journey without the assured personal presence of God. And we can see this on the map. They're out of Egypt and the Red Sea. They've had bread from heaven and they've had water from the rock. And they've seen off the Amalekites and the mighty Ten Commandments have been given to them from Mount Sinai. But what happens? Well, the Lord continues to instruct Moses on the mountain. The people, they break out below, 
and they rebel against God and they bow down to a calf fashioned out of gold and they proclaim this calf is now our God and their chapter picks it up with Moses back on the mountain again and the Lord is directing him to continue this journey notice on his own accompanied in verse 2 only by a solitary angel and take a look at verse 3 go up to the land the Lord says flowing with milk and honey but I will not go with you because you are a stiff necked people and I might destroy you on the way but folks this is very important for Moses the prospect is an impossibility Moses knew the great difference between the presence and the absence of the right person so how about you and me we're going to explore that this morning and we're going to ask ourselves three practical questions and here's the first one do I know the presence of God do I know the presence of God in verse 12 our passage begins with Moses making a request and I'm sure you can relate to this you're facing a big decision and you have different options that you can take how do you know what to do Lord how are you guiding me would you give me a sign and that was Moses request he's looking for guidance and I was thinking about that during the week and it brought me back to when I was contemplating marriage now I found this person who I thought might be suitable her name of course was Alison and you know what it's like when you have a big decision to make you make a list of pros <laughs> and cons don't you there's no affirmation here and on one side you have all the pros all the good things that come from being married good cook good fun and good worker and I'm making this worse I know and on the other side though you have all the cons a much shorter list of course with some of the challenges now I didn't do that just in case you're wondering or, or you might phone your friend hi Colin it's Richard hi Richard it's Colin how are you well actually I've seen a girl at church and I'm thinking about marriage can you help me please or you might even look for a dramatic sign I read a story in the Reader's Digest about someone looking for a sign from God I thought it was good, so let me read it to you. It's a good story. It says this, As a real estate agent, I spent six months showing homes to one couple. At last I found two that they liked, but they couldn't decide which to buy. The wife and I returned to the second house, and she began wandering about for a second look, while I waited upstairs. Eventually, she told me that they would take the first home, and I asked her how she made her decision. I was standing in the family room, she explained, and I asked God to give me a sign. Right then and there, a plane came zooming over us on its flight path to the airport, and I knew that wasn't the house for us, and it could just as easily have been the husband who said that. Well, Moses, he is looking for a sign. God, how are you going to lead us, and what should I do? And that was Moses' request. But look how God responded. Look at this. By giving a wonderful promise. He was going to give more 
than just guidance. He was going to be Moses' guide. And here we come to verse 14. And it's really the golden verse of Exodus 33. Look at what it says. The Lord replied, My presence will go with you, and I will give you rest. So let's unpack this. Firstly, God promises his presence. And our passage begins with Moses absolutely terrified and his great fear. Notice, is to face the future without the assured presence of God. John Durham, in his commentary on Exodus, explains why. Listen to what he says. Only Yahweh's presence with Moses and Israel separates them from all other people throughout the world. It is a lesson that Moses learned on Sinai at the time of his call. He alone was not equal to the task of challenging Pharaoh. But, notice, he was not to be alone. It is a lesson that Israel learned by the mighty acts in Egypt, by the deliverance at the sea, by the guidance and provision in the wilderness. What they had seen, what they had been given, what they had the chance of becoming, all were the result of the presence in their midst of Yahweh. In other words, Moses knew the great difference between the presence and the absence of the right person. He knows that in anything that is done for God. To take the divine presence out of it is to kill it. So what does that mean for us? Well, here's what it means. It means that every church and every Christian leader and every Christian witness must face that issue. Are we taking the presence of God with us into the week ahead, into all our church activities and meetings and into the future? Are we taking God's presence with us? Are we walking with God? One of the great first post-apostolic leaders was a man called Ignatius, the second bishop of Antioch. And Ignatius died as a martyr around the year 107 AD. It was during the reign of Emperor Trajan, who was Caesar at the time. But he was so concerned to carry God with him into his every action that those who knew him gave him a nickname. And his nickname was the God-bearer. And folks, that can be the title of any believer. To go into that place of work, to go into that student centre, to go into that street, and to be a God-bearer among them. God offers us his presence, but he also offers you his rest. His rest. Take a look at verse 14 again. The Lord replied, my presence will go with you, and I will give you rest. Now this is not a resting from something. Yesterday we bought a new mattress for the bed. Well, this is not about resting on a silent night mattress or a sealy mattress. This is about resting in. And it's a calmness and it's a security that comes from walking with God. You may know the name Alistair Begg. Alistair Begg is a former assistant pastor of Charlotte Chapel. And he's written some great books and he's a popular speaker. And this year, Alistair was due to be speaking at the Keswick Convention. And I hope the weather stays as it is. 
But just a few days ago, Alistair had to cancel. Sadly, for Alistair, he has to go for further surgery regarding an operation for prostate cancer. And you know, it made me think, what do you do when that happens? When life doesn't work out quite as you'd planned it. When maybe things are said about you that maybe aren't quite accurate. When life at times is just plain hard and complex, how do we react? Well, here's a promise from God. My presence will go with you and I will give you rest. Rest in your family, rest in your work work situation, rest in your sickness, and rest in your future. There's a story about two birds perched high above a busy city. And these two birds are watching all the people scurrying from one activity to another. And the robin said to the sparrow, so it's not a true story, obviously. You got that, didn't you? Why do those humans scurry to and fro? I like this. Perhaps, said the sparrow, they do not realise they have a heavenly father like ours that cares for them so. My presence will go with you and I will give you rest. When peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot, thou hast taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul. Here's a second question, moving on quickly. Am I on speaking terms with God? Am I on speaking terms with God? And then Moses evidently was. All of this section of Exodus, ever since chapters 19 and 20, finds Moses up on the mountain, in the thick darkness, receiving his instructions and acting as a go-between on behalf of the people of Israel. But folks, of course, this was unusual. Of course it was. It was a time of special instruction. Okay, so what was the norm? Well, the norm is found right here in verses 7 to 11. Look at what it says. Let's look at verse 7. Now Moses, this is, this is the norm for Moses, used to take a tent and pitch it outside the camp some distance away, calling it the tent of meeting. Anyone inquiring of the Lord would go to the tent of meeting outside the camp. And whenever Moses went out to the tent, all the people rose and stood at the entrances to their tents, watching Moses until he entered the tent. Verse 9. As Moses went into the tent, the pillar of cloud would come down and stay at the entrance while the Lord spoke with Moses. Whenever the people saw the pillar of cloud standing at the entrance to the tent, they all stood and worshipped, each at the entrance to his tent. The Lord would speak to Moses face to face as a man speaks with his friend. And that was the norm. That was Moses' quiet time. That was everyday living. When you're off the mountaintop and you're having your daily, regular time with the Lord. And there are three things I want us to notice here about prayer. About prayer. Firstly, prayer is vital. And Moses knew that. Now, tomorrow, my in-laws are coming across from Northern Ireland. And can I just say that I am not Irish. I get asked that every Sunday at the door. I'm from Grangemouth. Proud of it. Well I'm, in, well, I'm in Belfast. There is one place I love to go. It's Whitewell, Metropolitan Tabernacle. 
in, on, a Monday, on a Monday night. On a Monday night. That's where my brother-in-law serves as a youth pastor. Catch this. Every Monday night, they have a prayer meeting. And every week in that church building, over a thousand people gather for prayer. On that Monday night. And God willing, it will be the same tomorrow night. One thousand people will meet to seek God. So why? Why is that prayer meeting so full? Well, it's because they know this. Prayer is vital to achieving the vision that God has given them. And Moses knew that. And Robert Murray McShane knew that. He once put it so well when he wrote, What we are on our knees before God, that is what we are. No more and no less. And so here's the challenge for all of us as we go into this new week. How important is prayer to you and me? And what priority will I give to prayer this week? Prayer is vital. And secondly, prayer is also intimate. If you cast your eye at verse 11, and verse 11, here we find a great picture of intimacy. It says, The Lord would speak to Moses face to face as a man speaks with his friend. Now, when I was a student at university in St. Andrews, I used to love going to visit someone called Eric Alexander. Now, Eric, as you may know, is a former minister of the Tron in Glasgow. And it was great meeting up with Eric and just spending time with him and going out for lunch together. And it wasn't just because Eric usually paid, which he did, or that would have lunch at St. Andrew's Bay Hotel, which we did. It was just great to meet with Eric, because he is a friend. I could trust him, and he's been a great help to me. Now, what we find in this passage is that prayer is a bit like that. It is intimate. It's about friendship, and it's about trust. Notice, the Lord would speak to Moses face to face as a man speaks with his friend. Moses is on speaking terms with God. Are we? And our superior, New Testament era, with all the privileges of Calvary, Easter, and Pentecost behind us, are we on speaking terms with God? Prayer is vital. Prayer is intimate. And thirdly, prayer is powerful. And there is a huge mystery here. In verse 3, Remember what God had said. Okay, verse 3. He had said that there is a very real possibility that the Israelites are going to have to go on, at this point, without the personal presence of God. But now look at verse 17. Moses prayed for God's accompanying presence. And the Lord said to Moses, I will do the very thing you have asked. Because I am pleased with you, and I know you by name. So how do you explain this? Well, let me read you here from Alec Motier. Alec is speaking at Keswick this year. And if you have any questions, please speak to Alec. This is what he writes in his commentary about this year. He says, We are aware that the Lord knows the end, try and get this, from the beginning. And that he has not only planned both the beginning and the end, but also plotted the course in between. Here's what it says. Now, while it is true that he does not change, there is, at the heart of his unchangeableness, 
a mystery out of the old secret that the sovereign, unchangeable God accomplishes his purposes through the prayers of his people. And as Dr. Sidlow Baxter, a former pastor of Charlotte Chapel, once put it, I thought it was great, men may spurn our appeals, reject our message, oppose our arguments, despise our persons, but they are helpless against our prayers. Prayer is powerful. And now we come to our final question. And our questions, they're really all amounting to the same issue. Here's our issue. Can I see the face of God? Can I see the face of God? And the answer is found in a person called Jesus. Look with me, would you, at verse 18. Then Moses said, Now show me your glory. And why does he ask this? Well, he's looking for some demonstration of the promise that God has just given to him. And how does God respond? Verse 19, very interesting, verse 19. And the Lord said, I will cause all my goodness to pass in front of you, and I will proclaim my name, the Lord, in your presence. I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. But he said, you cannot see my face, for no one may see me and live. And that's why in the book of Judges, a man called Manoah meets someone called the angel of the Lord, and his first thoughts are, we are doomed to die. We have seen God. So then why in verse 11, could Moses speak face to face with the Lord? Well folks, this is not a Bible contradiction. It is no mistake. It is one of innumerable pointers to the Trinity. The New Testament confirms that the accompanying presence was, and always is, the Lord Jesus Christ. That figure in the pillar of fire and clouds accompanying them would be the pre-incarnate, second person of the glorious Trinity. In other words, Christ shows us the face of God. Please turn, if you would, in these closing moments to Colossians Chapter 1 and verse 15. Colossians chapter 1. The first sermon I preached here was on this passage many years ago. Colossians chapter 1 and verse 15. Christ shows us the face of God. Paul writes, He is the image, that is Jesus, of the invisible God. The firstborn over all creation. For by him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things were created by him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body of the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on 
the cross. C.H. Spurgeon was a great Baptist minister in the late 19th century. And what was so transparent in his life and ministry was Jesus, the person of Christ. Listen to his first words spoken in the pulpit of the Metropolitan Tabernacle, this time in London. And he said this. I thought it was great. He said, I would propose that the subject of the ministry of this house, as long as this platform shall stand, and as long as this house shall be frequented by worshippers, listen, shall be the person of Jesus Christ. I am never ashamed to avow myself a Calvinist. I do not hesitate to take the name of Baptist. But if I am asked, what is my creed? I reply, it is Jesus Christ. The legacy to which I would pin and bind myself forever, God helping me, is Jesus Christ, who is the arm and substance of the gospel, who is in himself all theology, the incarnation of every precious truth. Amen? Amen. Christ shows us the face of God. And finally, Christ shows us the love of God. Let me share this with you. Back when I was dating Alison, I used to send her wee presents. It's true. Why? To show my love for her. I would send her letters, and I would send her flowers, and maybe even chocolates. Not nearly enough, she would add. In Exodus 33, when God spoke with Moses, he stressed his mercy, and he stressed his compassion, and he showed his love supremely by sending what was dearest to his heart, his only beloved son. And in love, Jesus came, so you and I can be rescued from hell. Can I be a bit personal here? Maybe your love for God has grown cold. Something has happened in your life, maybe even at church, and you have become discouraged and you have become angry, if the truth be told. Why did God allow this? I don't understand. Why not commit this day to renewing your walk with the Lord? Spend time reading the Bible. Let God speak into your life. Spend time in prayer. Open your heart to him. And reflect. Reflect on just how much you are loved by God. Or maybe you're here and Jesus is not yet a reality in your life. And you know it. And perhaps you'd love to be a Christian. But how do you begin? Well, this morning at the end, we're going to see a prayer that you can respond to. And it's the most important thing that you will ever do. As Horatius Boner once put it, I hear the words of love. I gaze upon the blood. I see the mighty sacrifice. And I have peace with God. We're almost finished. Moses knew the great difference between the presence and the absence of the right person. All the experiences amount to nothing at all without the right person. 
The question for us this morning is this. Do we understand the great difference between the presence and the absence of God? To walk with God. To be assured that his presence will go with me all the time. Besides that, nothing else matters. Let us pray.